So, so people can actually hear me. Welcome to the Artist Exchange Radio Show. I'm your host, Nate. We're here on another Friday. Uh, we're now, well, we were in November last week too, but uh, we're, I guess, winter has officially started. So Baltimore, just watch out. Uh, we have an interesting show today. We're going to be talking about a few hot topics. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, critical race theory. We're going to talk a little bit about Will Smith. Uh, I just heard some interesting <laughs> news about Travis Scott. So we go, I want to touch on that uh, incident as well. And then we're going to sum it all up with some um, mental health uh, conversations about self-care and maintaining your uh, mental health. As I, was, as I spoke for the last couple of weeks, I kind of disclosed a little bit about where I'm at currently. Uh, coming off of a almost two-year span now uh, in the middle of a pandemic and how that can affect you and how we need to really think about it. And then I have one little conversation that I'm going uh, to start. I'm going to end up because we have a couple of events that's coming up. Um, also, in the course of uh, the next couple months going into the new year, um, I want to say first, thank you to everybody who voted for myself, the Artist Exchange Radio Show, so that's everybody associated with it. Um, uh, my Bash Tie Blue Jewelry Company, as well as um, I was voted, nominated as Renaissance Man of the Year uh, for the Baltimore Crown Award. So if you go to our social media, you'll be able to find the links where you can vote. Uh, the event is actually next Saturday. So um, shout out to everybody who is a part of the Baltimore scene, uh, Baltimore uh, Crown Awards, Machine Year, and all of her many uh, individuals. Um, hey, Nicole. Uh, but I also want to uh, just say thank you to everybody. I have a number of friends that are, are being nominated this year. Tracy Jiggins, Troy Burton, Joshua Dixon, I'm trying to remember all the names. I'm going to get somebody. Easy Jackson. Uh, oh, my God. Shinyeer, Dumont, Baltimore, Lady Breon, uh, Safi. So go to vote. So you can go to the Baltimore scene.org and you can vote for your favorite artist. I'm just saying for me, I was voted as uh, best radio show, uh, Renaissance Man of the Year, and best vendor for Vashti Blue Jewelry, my new studio. So uh, definitely go there. I really appreciate it. Being nominated is such a humbling experience because you don't know who may have voted you in and then you have to get a certain amount of votes to be able to be on the ballot. So I appreciate you all. Uh, yet again, we have a couple awards from the Crown. So thank you once again. Hope we win. I'll see y'all next uh, Saturday. Come out and support. It's going to be at the new garage uh, uh Music Center right here on Lafayette and Charles Street. So come on out, come on support. Um, 
And yeah, thank you. So that I wanted to start by saying that um, I wanted to start the conversation as we're going to end it on a mental health note. Please be be mindful of your mental health. Do do daily check-ins, and it's the winter time. So not only have we been in a pandemic for almost two years, we've, we're also going into the winter time, which is a typical time for uh, depression, seasonal depression, and all those things. Remembering people that you lost. Um, and coming off of a two-month span for my, myself where I've lost a couple people over the pandemic and then losing my grandmother two years, two months ago. Um, now, time has flown by. Uh, so going through all that, doing daily checks with myself, with my friends and family, and just making sure we're good. Um, and sometimes good doesn't always look like what you want it to look like. So just be mindful, do checks, because your mental health can manifest manifest itself into a physical ailment. I was getting really bad headaches in the back of my head, and I didn't understand what it was. And I went and got a CAT scan, and my doctor didn't find anything, but said stress can definitely be a culprit in this case. So not overstressing yourself walking away from things that are outside of your control, that are bringing you stress and anxiety, and just eliminating people from your life that don't bring you happiness. And then be mindful of the things that you are doing. Because for every finger we can point, there are three fingers pointing back um, back at you. Uh, Nicole, I'm feeling much better. We had a, a comment. I'm feeling much better. I took two weeks off. And only really did like one or two things. And that's really just my show. And I haven't really done much else in the last few weeks. But uh, I was home. I kind of did some cleaning and just did a lot of meditation and soul searching. um, And uh, really just focused on me and eliminated anything or anybody that was was stressful. Um, And that really has helped. In our last couple of days, I felt extremely better. I'm not back to my 100% self, but I'm doing great. I'm still working, still creating. So I'm here in front of you. So that says a lot uh, for me. Um, One, I want to shout out to uh, our guest from last week, Mr. Brian Jeffrey. He will be, his show, Dream Girls, will be opening up at Center Stage um, uh, this week, this coming week. So I'll be there Tuesday. So get your tickets. Tickets are selling out. So get your tickets. Afrocent- I mean, art-centric uh, out of Morgan State University are doing great things. And they have partnered up with Center Stage to produce uh, Dream Girls, which is one of my favorite musicals. So come on out. Come share the space with them and, and enjoy them. Um, I have a special guest today, Miss Mia. Um so once we bring her on to the stage, she can unmute herself while we're bringing her on. Hi. Good evening. Hey. Hey. How are you? I'm wonderful, Nate. You doing Thank good? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. She is sporting her Vashtop Blue Jewelry Originals. And I have to get more. Yes. I have to order more. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> And I just I want always to say, love seeing a, a gracious uh, customer. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and I just wanted to say I'm sorry to hear about the loss of your grandmother. Grandmothers are very special. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to just acknowledge that. It's, just, it's a different type of love. It's a different type of love that you have for grandma. It's not 
more or better than any other relationship, but it's just something different mm-hmm. about a grandmother's love. Just like it's nothing like a mother's love. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, it, it definitely, just and many of us lost people throughout the last two years. And just in general, if you lost somebody, grief is never uh, beginning and ending. It's never beginning and end because even if it subsides, it, it may come back as a memory at some point. So always checking in with yourself and making sure you know, we can't, as Black people, we got to say, God, we have to stop saying, I'm okay. Right, right. You're absolutely right. Really not. And really express that feeling. So we're going to talk a little bit about feelings a little bit later. Will Smith's book is is currently on pre-order, but you can order it now on Amazon and it'll be to you on the 14th. Uh, but we're going to talk a little bit about him. Uh, and then we're going to ease into the... Um, uh, mental health awareness, but I wanted to talk a little bit. You you brought up Travis Scott, our former mayor, Sheila Stephanie Rollins Blake. I was about to say Sheila <laughs> Stephanie Rollins Blake um, is currently the spokesperson for Travis Scott. Uh, shocking news, um, and I, I guess she's ready to, you know, come from behind her desk and and do some more public work. Uh, but the the issue of surrounding Travis Scott um, is an issue that many artists are now in a space of, and it's been the last couple of years, two things have happened where stages may have collapsed on a festival or there may have been a fight that broke out or something, but the attention always seems to go to the headliner. Um, in this case, it's Travis Scott because he was actually performing during uh, the um confusion, and then ultimately the death of eight people. Um, I believe 300 people were actually injured and and had to go to the hospital as well. But do you agree with people blaming Travis Scott? No, I don't. I I, I don't think, I I think that he should have some level of accountability, right? And I think as an an artist, right, and we're both artists, I Mm -hmm. think that we have, we are naturally empathetic, right? So I think that um, he should be, he should have some level of accountability and take some responsibility. But I don't think that, you know, Mm -hmm. we should be canceling him. You know, um, if he was made aware that this was, this was going on and he still continued to perform, then that's one thing. But I don't, but from, from what I've been reading, I don't think that that's the case. You know what I'm saying? And so um, I think the, Mm -hmm. the concert promoters, I think why are we having fifty thousand or how many people were there during a during a global pa- pandemic? Why are we having well, right? Yeah, like why are we having those kinds right, of Lala, concerts? And Lollapalooza is known for. I went once. It is. It was too many people for me. Mm-hmm. I didn't even. I didn't even want to go in. Like there's there are plenty of places around it and the main stage. I didn't feel, I never feel comfortable in outside events like that. I just, this is something that's just not comfortable to me because something like this could happen. And if you're too far inside of it, you got to wait till all those people behind you have moved out before you can exit or escape. So what happened, happened. But I do agree. It was watching that was like, was this something that happened years ago? And they just bringing it up. But the fact that all those people were still in that space and not, it's, we're still in a pandemic. Thank you. I think yesterday, all of the states have finally reported their numbers 
and we were back up to over a hundred thousand cases. Right. New cases. Right. So right. I, I just I need people to realize we still haven't gotten this under uh containment. We haven't contained this as of yet. And I'm not saying stop everything like we did last year, but come on, let's be more mindful of stuff like this. Let's I mean Versus is doing a great job while they they're opening up studio, I mean arenas as well. So I can't even say versus battle because they're doing the same thing. Um, but real quick before we go any further, I want Mia to introduce herself, let us know who she is, what she does. All right. Well, good evening, everyone. My name is Mia Miata. I'm the Neo Soul Nina Simone. All right. And I am a local uh, artist here in Baltimore. I am a vocalist. Um, a mother, a teacher, a friend. I, I teach adjunct at Baltimore City Community College. I'm a product of Morgan State University and the Baltimore School for the Arts. Okay, I want to just a quick plug. Here's my, my CD, Mia Miata's Urban Arias, which is available on all streaming platforms. Okay, I am also a new author. Here's my book, The Goddess Code. I want to talk to you about helping me promote this. The Goddess Code. Um, which is available on Amazon, The Goddess Code, which is available on Amazon and Author House. Okay. All right. And okay. um, I, I'm, I'm a social activist. I'm currently at Morgan State University and pursuing my a doctorate in community college leadership. And interestingly enough, um, Stephanie Valens Blake was mentioned in my dissertation proposal because my dissertation proposal is going to be focusing on a group of GD students in the Sandtown Winchester community of Baltimore post Freddie Gray, the, up, the uprising. So um, Stephanie Valens Blake is a very interesting topic, I think, um, to begin the show with, considering that she was the mayor during one of the most trauma-filled mm. events that our city has witnessed in the last uh, 20 years. And what, I, what I'm afraid for her, right, is that because she's a Black woman, right, she's a sister. And regardless of my personal feelings for her, I want her to succeed and I, and I want her to win. Right. And for me, I think that she'll be labeled as like a tr- the trauma queen, right? Because she was the mayor of our city during such a traumatic time. And now she's being brought into this... Uh-huh. This uh, this chaotic situation with Travis Scott, and I don't know. I don't know that that's a good move for her. But you know, we're gonna we're gonna let it play out and see what happens. Uh, yeah, yeah, and it's it's unfortunate because she came in on the heels of trauma in the city, and uh, but she came in on the heels of one of the first times in ours city's history where all of our top leadership roles were being uh, led by women. Black women. Well, not all Black women. I think it was like one senator, one white senator, but mainly Black women, majority Black women. And I I, I didn't want her to fail, but I think her reaction wasn't what her constituents wanted. Right. But the people of the city really wanted for her and needed for her to be in that moment. Um, so unfortunately, you know, she got a, she's gotten a bad rap based off of her response rate. But I, I think her being in this position may be something different from her because she always gave really good speeches and was and was really um she's intelligent. So I'm not taking away from her 
intelligence. I just think certain jobs aren't for everybody. Right. And I think maybe as a spokesperson and definitely as a lawyer, I see her being much greater at those positions than maybe the mayor. Right. Right. No, no, you know, and, and, and she comes from a political family, right? And I mm-hmm. may think that that was something that was um in her career past, right? right. Just like O'Malley, right. he never wanted to be mayor, he wanted to be governor. He wanted to be president mm-hmm. when he had a very horrible success, uh, uh, presidential run. But I say, I like to say is that uh, what I think uh, Baltimore, sometimes the mayor of Baltimore is a stopping ground for for people who aspire to, you know, but like, you know, for example, uh, William mm-hmm. Schaefer, that was Baltimore was his heart. And he was our mayor for, for many, many years and then went on to be governor and comptroller. Right. But I say, I like to say, you can tell, you can tell, you can feel, right? We were talking about empathy earlier. Right. You can feel when when someone's interests are at our best interest as well, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You, it's, it's very clear. So, you know, I wish her well. I hope, I hope Travis Scott, uh, we, sometimes we have to say no to stuff. Mm-hmm. or put out demands now and not be afraid that someone's going to say, well, we'll find somebody else. Uh, because a situation like this could have been easily prevented if they would have put more restraints on how many people could come on, you know, but I guess money rules the world. And this is the result of, you know, chasing money, not speaking just to Travis Scott, because he's not going to be financially liable for a lot of this, those promoters are, the organizers of that event, the owners of that venue, those are going to be the people that really have to pay, but they're just going to put his face out there. So we're going to know, we're going to, everybody's going to think it's his fault and everybody's blaming him. But as artists, sometimes, you know, the, your best bet is to stop the show. That, right. that the show must go on mantra is something, a very toxic notion that many of us have been, uh, ingrained in. And as an artist, once he saw that something was going on, he should have, in his responsibility, should have been to stop the show. Right. At that point, he had that power. So figure out, you know, but I hope he doesn't get the brunt of this and everybody else gets off scot-free like most people do in these situations and blame everything on him. And so he was on stage and he was one of the headliners. Um but um, I wanted to then touch on that, and I don't want to. I don't want to beat up um, our former mayor because our uh, <clears throat> our Marty and her don't have the best relationship, right? <laughs> but um, uh, I wanted to transition into a conversation that I had. So I have joined a new app. It's called the Stereo app. It's a lot like Clubhouse. But it's similar to it, but it's not really like it's called Stereo F. And I started a conversation. My first week on there, that was part of my mental health. I started doing things that I wouldn't typically do. uh, And I joined this. And one of my first conversations was about the, um, and it just jumped out my head, what is going on today? Uh, The critical race theory. And this big debate that Republicans and, and the Trump supporters really are pushing the narrative of it being taught in our schools, which is truth and false, mostly false. Uh, the historical value of what it is is being taught in our history classes. 
But it's, the critical race theory is not something, I'm putting that out there for all the ignorant people on all sides, critical race theory is not taught in any schools other than select schools like Harvard uh, law schools. That's where it's being taught. Elements of what it is uh, and the critical race theory at its simplest form is a question, It's because it's a theory. Uh, and the question was, why does systematic racism still exist? Or why does it exist? Um, that was the basis of the theory. Um, and its simplest form, I'm quite sure it was much more complicated than that. But as I know it to be, that's what the study was in, in the 70s, the early 70s, by a group of students out of Harvard, not Howard, but Harvard. So it's not a racial issue. It was studied, but it was some black and um, people of color, about 12 of them from Harvard that came together and did an independent uh, study on why. Why is this still happening after decades of uh, <clears throat> segregation, uh, civil rights movement, Jim Crow? Why are we still at this place in the 70s? And this was after King's death, after Malcolm X's death, after many of our great leaders in the struggle had already been killed off, including our president and his brother, um, the Kennedys. Uh, so to be in the, the hell of the 70s where everything was free love, but we're still facing systematic racism. And that was the question of it. And now it's been usurped into a, a battle uh uh, tool to fight against the Democrats and, and a political uh, uh, kind of pull and tug of it all. Um, and I, because I kept hearing it, it forced me to go and do some more research on it and figure out where, one, the origins of it and understand the elements of it that we have learned. And we've learned about the civil rights movement. We learned about segregation. We learned about Jim Crow. So the elements of that we learned about. But that was typically in high school or in, in general college. We learned about those things in like history classes, social studies classes. But it was a, it's been a lot of people around the country, mainly white women who are going into these PTA meetings, having these these awful arguments with the school board and the, the powers that be about they're not wanting their child to learn about critical race theory, which is crazy because they learned about critical race theory. They just didn't know that that's what it was. Right. <clears throat> so how do you then in your doctorate program and understanding what curriculum is and what studies, African-American studies are. You're going to a Black university now. How do you feel about people not wanting their children to, one, learn the truth in history? Well, it's interesting you say that because my study is underpined by the CTR, by the critical race theory, that basically mm -hmm. says that racism is structural, right? It's systematic, okay? Even within white, even within white culture, you weren't even considered white unless you were a landowner. That's how the whole, um, uh, what's the thing that, that, we, that we use when we vote? I'm sorry, you know, I'm like, I'm drawing a blank right now. But, um, you know. The, uh, I think it's just this Friday, the ballot or? No, you the um, 
you know, when the states have a certain amount of votes that they send to the uh, electoral college, the electoral college. Oh, the electoral college. Yeah, the electoral college was based off of how much land you owned, right? So when you think about Maryland, think about Calvert, Cecil, all these were white people, right? But Lord Baltimore, these were white Mm -hmm. folks, right? Right, so... So to, mm-hmm. so to say, like you said, to walk into these in, walk into these platforms and say, I don't want my child to learn the critical race theory when you have benefited from the critical race theory is hypocritical. And it's all, and, and no disrespect to my white friends, my white girlfriends out there, but it's always white women who have, who have um, benefited, right, from the critical race theory, from from systematic racism, from the structural racism, more than anyone, more than even white males, right? From um, the 70s on up to today. today, even before then, like like you were saying. And so it's interesting because Mm -hmm. we have to teach our children the truth. We have to. We have to teach white and or black children. All children need to know the truth. That, that, That racism in this country is structural. It's it's mm-hmm. inherent, right? Right. It, you can't get away from it. Mm-hmm. Point blank. I, I tell people. I tell people all the time. So for me, I went to a charter elementary school, and then I went to a, a Catholic uh, middle school and high school. My elementary school was black women led, uh, very much so steeped in African American history. So I had a great foundation going into these predominantly white Christian schools, Catholic schools. Um, So I was better off than a lot of my students, other black students that may have not had that deep black history foundation. And I remember middle school wasn't as bad because we ultimately got a black male and he taught us history. So it wasn't but he still was a little like, because he went to predominantly white schools, it was still a little skewed, but I understood. And it was people, like I was able to insert things that I knew in that class. But I got to high school, uh, Archbishop Curley, I, I went to this school and I got one day, one class of black history and that was slavery. Mm. And uh, and I, I had two history classes in high school, and it was a World Civ class where I learned about every other culture but African. And then I, before that, uh, that was upperclassmen, but my lower class history class was a uh, U.S. history class. Uh, and it was started with slavery, and my white 20-some-year-old teacher told me and a young man, I'll never forget his name, Kojo, he was the only two black kids in that class, that slavery was not as bad as we have made it out to be. Wow. And he likened us us slaves uh, or our ancestors who were slaves uh, to farm equipment. And he said, would you beat your tractor? And wow. that was slavery history. Segregation was a, uh, we, me and Kojo were used as example. He said, Kojo and Mr. Kowser, please leave the room. And as we left the room, he said, this is an example of segregation. And I left off the classroom and I contemplated, what do I do? So I kept walking and Kojo tried to bring me back. And I said, no, I'm going to just have to get in trouble today because I I can't sit here and listen to this man lie to this room. And it was probably like 20 some 
black kids in that classroom. And you wonder why our children, the Kyle, uh, what's his name, Rittenhouse or whatever yeah, his name right, is, right, right, why right. they grow up believing the way they do. Right. Because our schools, and, and, and no, no disrespect to my mother, but we as Black people send our children to those types of schools thinking that they're going to get a better education. And right. that is what I got for my mother's almost $20,000 a year. Right. That's, that's right. what I got for her paying that about that much every year. And that, I got that one day of history. Even when we would have a multicultural week in the cafeteria, it was never any African food in there or any Caribbean food in there. Uh, so the fact that we don't want our children to know the history, and I'm not blaming it solely on us, but right. we are taking part in this. We are allowing our children not to be educated. How many people don't celebrate Kwanzaa? And it wasn't anything religious. It was simply to give you doses of your own history and right. culture. Right. And right. we served every other holiday, every other religious or non-religious holiday that is someone else's culturally um, created holiday. So it, this this topic really upset me in a way. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no. I just think it's interesting in the in these conversations that we're having about um, diversity and inclusion, right? How the critical race mm-hmm. theory it, uh, is is excluded from those conversations, right? And so everything that you're saying is absolutely correct. I went to Catholic schools my whole life. Um, except I went to a Catholic school my first year of high school, and it was extremely racist. And I was not uh, oh, yeah. prospering there. I went to Mount Sales Academy um, my first year of high school, mm-hmm. and I uh, was pulled up. And my counselor said, "What's mm-hmm. going on with you?" And I said, "I don't want to be here." She says, well, "Where do you want to go?" I said, "I want to audition for the Baltimore School for the Arts." And you know, within the arts culture, that racism runs rampant in the and especially in like you know. Uh, the mm-hmm. classical world, or like you say, Broadway and all these other uh, genres of, of of the arts, where racism runs rampant. You can, and, and I experienced it at, at the Baltimore School. Did got you to know? Did you know a black woman started that school? Created that school. Wow, wow! I never knew if that. You no, know, you would never, you would never know it from being in a building because her picture is nowhere. Wow. Uh, a friend of mine, really good friend of mine, Ross Cawthon, is now the acting uh, uh, the acting director, executive director of that school. The first time in its history that it was a Black executive director of that school since it was opened up. Nathan Carter from Morgan yeah, that helped was my, to open that was, up that school. Yeah, yeah, that was my name. Helped name's. to open up the school. And I'm trying to think of the woman's name, and it really has escaped my mind. But she was the Black woman also who helped open up the UB Blake Center prior to, then went and helped opened up the School of the Arts that's been usurped as this white organization. You would not even have known that. I just learned it this year when my friend became the executive director of that school. Oh, oh yeah. I, I mean, it it was it wasn't it was an opportunity for what non talented white mm-hmm. children to prosper. That's what it was. I was a senior. I I was on the opera ensemble. I was supposed to have the leading role. It was given to a white girl because why? Her mother contributed to the to the board. Her mother sang on the Baltimore Opera. 
guess what? Mm-hmm. Negro, get to the back. And so Nathan, I was sobbing in the audience and Nathan Carter came to me. He pulled me up and he said, you stop that crying right mm-hmm. now. He says, I'm taking you with me to Germany. To, when we when you come to Morgan, so I wanted to go to Howard. You know, I didn't want to go to Morgan. Morgan is like 13th grade. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you something. I stepped foot on Morgan's <laughs> campus. I stepped foot on Morgan's campus and I felt nothing but love. And mm-hmm. they, he took me to Germany. I sang on the choir. I went to, I sang with the uh, Philadelphia Philharmonic. I had so many great experiences within the arts culture because I, because I chose to go to an HBCU and sing under Dr. Nathan mm-hmm. Carter. Dr. Nathan Carter saved my life. He did. And, it, and, and it's, it's frustrating to me that uh, an institution like that, you know, got into the hands of these people and then it just became a legacy of, you know, even to go, if you go to the website, it's buried deep, 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 deep down that she is the founder wow. of that school. Uh, and I'm, I'm trying to remember her name. It's going to come to me by the time we finish, but, you know, the conversation that I had uh, when I was on that app, it was really, we had a couple younger Black people and we had some older people and then we had a white guy that was on there. And it was just, it was just interesting to hear the points of view. You know, uh, the younger guy, of course, did not understand the frustration of the older people hearing information like this being used as a, as a weapon and not as a tool. Um, having our history uh, kind of tossed out and and little by little be chopped away. In Virginia, a bill was just passed to get uh, beloved stripped from the reading list of high schoolers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I want to say Louisiana, um, the young lady, the first young lady to be integrated into schools in Louisiana. I can't, I don't know why names have gone out of my head right now, but um, her book was stripped off of the reading list as well. So we're now in a space where you are offended by factual history. Right, right, right. And not not so much so liking it. And a lot of them are liking it to us being frustrated by these statues that were taken down. So in retaliation, we're getting things like critical race theory being used as a propaganda tool or uh, Beloved, the story of a mother who, who instead of having her children face the same uh, life she led, she killed them, you know, yeah. or killed yeah. one of them. Yeah. Uh, or the Ruby Bridges story, that was the name of Ruby Bridges, where she was the first Black person to be integrated into the uh, school system in, in uh, all of Louisiana. You know, so having these stories being stripped from, you know, because we don't want to upset. And what what frustrated me in, on on top of all of this, um, um, Condoleezza Rice went on to The View to talk about uh, not wanting white children to feel bad about, about what has happened in history. Yeah, right. Like, right. I, Condoleezza Rice, aren't you from the South? Yeah, like, <laughs> I, I don't... This is the thing, though. Okay, I, I white people they have to have a certain level of accountability. And if it wasn't your grandfather, your father, or your or or your auntie or your uncle, the the the, the offspring of these people have to be held responsible. I'm sorry. 
I, I'm not making any excuses because you're 12. Well, you they need- been, I mean, and I agree with you because they benefit from it. That's you know, thing. whether it be the extra mama company or the whiskey companies or this company or that Walmart, all of these companies that benefited from slave labor at its mm-hmm. origin or yeah. usurping the ideas or inventions of black people. But now they're benefiting it, benefiting from it years later. Absolutely. You can't tell me right. that you, you don't deserve to have accountability. Thank you. Absolutely. Henry Ford, his idea came from a black man, right? They, they, that's generational. They, they, they're, they're children's 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 the peanut children's guy. children. What's the peanut man? I can't even remember. What's the peanut man? The man oh, who um, get all in this. George Washington Carver. Right. That, they, Henry Ford was helped by him also. Right. The right. idea of the production line or right. using a certain type of I'm, I'm, I'm so thankful that I had the elementary school that I went to. Uh, Carolyn Blackwell, Winona Rock, Lorraine Lockhart. Um, I'm trying to think of the other teachers. Uh, I can't think of them all, but I'm so thankful. Cynthia Etheridge, I'm so thankful. Um, Judge Mitchell's wife, uh, Karen Mitchell's wife, uh, Miss Mitchell, you know, having that as a foundation. I, I can only imagine how ignorant I would have been going into these predominantly white schools being whitewashed. Right, absolutely. And being basically sold the victor's side of the story. Right. I was just, I, I just offered, Yeah, I was just offered a job at a Catholic school and um, they were basically begging me to take it. It was a social studies job, a social studies teaching job. And when she said yeah. that I would be one of the, it was a predominantly black, all girls Catholic, black and Latina, all girls Catholic school. But I was one of would be one of the only black teachers. That was a red flag for me. That was a red flag to say this is this is not the right position for me. This is not. I, I, although I would love to help our girls, this that maybe not in that and that that platform is not for me. Because I feel like I'm already walking into a situation where I'm 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 not going to be successful, right? And it, and, and it happens that way. It happens that way. I, I, I remember going into high school, and I don't know if you know Archbishop Curley, but most of that teachers, we have some teachers who aren't of the cloth, but the rest of our teachers are friars, like robes, sandals, rope around the waist friars. Mm-hmm. You know, and going into them with their ideology their Catholic ideologies, and then having these racist white teachers teach you and be mad at you because you don't know their history and right. they don't know a, anything about you all. Right. You know, that school, it was traumatizing to me. Had I not been a naturally quiet person, I probably would have been in jail. I probably would have been arrested. I probably would have gotten expelled for the first time ever in, in life. But I, I can't imagine people still sending their children to these types of schools. Mm-hmm. Right. You no, know, right. like, I, and I, I regret not going to St. Francis now. I really regret not going to St. Francis. But we that was meant to be, like, that's the ghetto school. You don't want to yeah. go to that school. That school's yeah, so right. ghetto. It, it's across the street from the jail. You don't want to go over there. Yeah, and I regret it now. 
you know, because many of the people I know who went to that school had a well-rounded education. You know, the first Black order of Black nuns. You know, that's still, it's still steeped in our history. It's still steeped in our culture. But we are so helping on doing things the white way. Yeah, absolutely. How do, think, how do you think this is going to end? In terms of um, critical, the, race, the, theory. critical, critical race, race theory, theory. Mm -hmm. that's interesting because I think that um, voices like Condoleezza are quickly dismissed by those of us who who know the truth, right? Mm -hmm. And so, I, mm -hmm. what I think is mm -hmm. that this critical race theory conversation needs to be had on many platforms, you know, like the platform that you were talking about in Clubhouse and, and, you know, these, these are the, these, this is, this is the microcosm to the macrocosm, right? If, even if it's up to us as black educators, mm -hmm. as black artists to have these conversations with our children, uh, to walk on a college campus and say, Hey, have you ever heard of the critical race theory? What do you think about that? You know what I'm saying? Because, because, because what we're talking about is mm -hmm. systematic and it's systemic and it's deep rooted Right. And it's up to us, like, you know, like um, we were talking about George Washington Carver to pull out those roots. Right. Did you know he was castrated? That's why his voice was so high. He was a con con constralto. His voice was so high because they had taken his manhood essentially from him as a young boy. Right. And so but he was a pioneer. And there, and, and, and there are people like George Washington Carver. And you talked about Malcolm X and and um, and, Mal and Martin Luther King. There are, those are the kind of people that will never be replaced. There will never be a George Washington Carver to walk this plane. I mean, there, of course, there'll be protégés and people like him. What I say, all I have to say is that our ancestors were way makers out of no way. So it's up to us to have these conversations to make a way out of no. The critical race theory isn't going anywhere anytime soon, or the discussions behind it or discussions around it. And we need to keep continuing to have these conversations. So when you, right. you, were, you were telling me earlier that this is one of the um, conversation that you wanted to have tonight. I was so excited because those are the conversations that we're not having. <laughs> and it, and, but it, it keeps happening in this way where parts of our history are being slowly taken away and they're tricking us into believing our vote, our voice doesn't count. So many of us aren't even fighting these issues at the ballot. You know, the idea that uh, Ruby Bridges' uh, document or biography can be taken away, and in Louisiana of all places, you know, or a beloved story can be stripped away from the reading and in parts of our history. As a teacher, I teach in schools, so I know that there's a big list of things that I cannot do. But the one thing that I do, and it gets on my principal's nerves every year, every time I go to another school, I photocopy at least 300 photos of Black faces. And I plaster them. I don't care what the demographic of my uh, class is. I plaster those faces around my room. And it, it, I remember the first time I did that, I had a white principal have them taken down over the holiday weekend. And I was so mad, like, this is, you know, I know that you don't want people to feel bad about themselves. So you want me to, and I, it was mainly like black actors and such. So you want me to put a Tom Hanks up there and, 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 and all these white faces up there. Why? 
when my school don't, the demographic of the school don't look like that. But I want them to know that there are other actors. They can just see that all the time. But if, if you can't tell me who Whoopi Goldberg is, but you can tell me who Tom Hanks is, that's a problem in my book. Being a theater teacher, that's a problem for me. And I don't, I don't think people care to understand, even people that look like us, what it's like not being represented in your classroom. That's your foundation years. That's the, that's the years that determine the person that you'll be. So thankfully for me, I had a beginning that was really strong. I went to school on Pennsylvania and Dolphin. You know, and I got that deep history and that was that became my foundation and everything else was just, you know, mixed in there. But I, what about those students who did not, who parents chose from to send them to say friends from beginning to end? What was their education like by the time they're my age? Yeah, but interestingly enough, you go to college, you go to PWIs, predominantly white institutions, and they have whole courses built around mm-hmm. Toni Morrison. They have whole courses uh, built around Ruby Bridges and the and the civil rights movement. Okay, so what I'm saying is that they're tapping into that knowledge, right? They want to know our history. They understand how important it is, right, to read a beloved or Sula or uh, uh, the Bluest Eye. They understand. Uh, the, how important those pieces of literature are, and that and that Toni Morrison should be included in the canon, right along with, you know, um, Langston Hughes or who, her male, her white and black male counterparts. You see what I'm saying? But 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 when when it comes to like you said on a middle school elementary school level, those kinds of works are deemed taboo, right? So it's interesting the dynamic and the dichotomy. It is. It's not. But it's not the content that they have reverence for. It is her technique of writing. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I don't even think they see her content. Even you being a music artist, look how many white people have kept Nina Simone's name alive. But do you yeah. think it was her content that they love so much or her gritty style, her gritty, gritty classical style? Yeah, absolutely. They love that more. Right, right. right. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Because she was a classical you know, musician, right? right? Right, absolutely. I agree. Billie Holiday. Billie Holiday. They loved her gritty, raw style. But I'm sure they didn't love her content. Her life ended as it did because of her content. Mainly strange. And because she refused to compromise on her content. She could have stopped singing Strange Fruit easily. Easily, easily. She could have cut yeah. that from her repertoire. But And what I love about Billy, and I know Tracy, Tracy Jiggins has such a powerful poem about, and, and she mentions um, mm-hmm. uh, Billy Holiday in, in the whorehouse and all of that stuff. But I say I have to say from that. the whorehouse to Carnegie Hall. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. From the whorehouse to Carnegie Hall. But what I love about Billy, and, and, and you know, and, and, and please accept what I'm getting ready to say. She was a light-skinned Black woman, mm-hmm. right? And she didn't have to be, she was rooted in her blackness. She was rooted in the essence and Mm -hmm. the importance and the understanding of what it was to be a black woman in America, right? She could have easily, you know, dismissed Mm -hmm. all of that and said, well, I'm going to just, you know, pass. Or she she couldn't really pass, but she could have, she could have accepted those social norms. She could have played nice. Thank you. She could have played yeah. nice, and she didn't. Yeah, she could have sung those, those blues songs that they love. Chastity says, 
Yes, they love telling the story the way they wanted to. I guess that's what she was saying. Now that the truth is coming out, they are embarrassed, but they they must own their history. They the, the same way we have to always own ours. And unfortunately, our are still affected by the plague of racism vigorously used against our ancestors. Yes, Chastity. Thank you, Chastity. But and that, that's what I meant by they loved our they love our tenacity, our strength, our grit, our unique talents. They didn't love our content. Mm-hmm. That's why they tried to get us to sing the way they wanted to sing so it would be pleasing to them and comfortable to them. You know, mm-hmm. even as artists, I've watched many artists have their blackness shamed out of them. The way we take music, it, it took them how many hundreds of years to create new types and point shoes for people of color. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. why, why has it taken so long? Yeah, right. You know, or, even, or the, or, even or, knowing we have... Yeah, and I was going to say, or or the body types, the bo- dancers, the body types are, you know, you don't have to be a straight up and down now to be a ball- ballerina. I've seen so many beautiful pictures on Facebook and, and one of the captions was like, because you need to see black ballerinas on your timeline. And these girls were built, you know, and that and that's, I mean, and, and it takes nothing away from yep. who we are aesthetically, right? We can dance, we can do any kind of job. All of that comes from us anyway, right? That's those, the arts, those but are the, our... Right. Because I went to predominantly white schools, I grew comfortable with what they thought. Not that I not that I agree with it, but what hurt most is I went through all of that in predominantly white schools and chose to go to one of the blackest institutes that I could think of. And I got in my face a whitewashed education in terms of who I should be. Now that wasn't every teacher. But it still was prom predominantly there. You know, mm-hmm. I thought I was going to learn who August Wilson was, which I did there. But in my English classes, no, I had to only learn that in theater classes. And I had to be constantly told how much more prominent Shakespeare was than August Wilson mm-hmm. or Tony Morrison mm-hmm. or Maya Angelou or Langston mm-hmm. Hughes. Mm-hmm. I had to be told that. Mm-hmm. So I fought against learning any Shakespeare. Because if I can't learn all this, we'll say, I'm not learning no damn Shakespeare. Right, right. But we have to stop telling our our children. We have to stop telling ourselves and our children, giving our children a whitewashed representation of who we are and taking what is naturally us in this, you know, hearing of the arts scene in Baltimore, you went through it, I'm sure. Um Hey, Neil, what's going on? My uncle uh, Neil is on, DJ, DJ Snakeskin. But but you, I'm sure you went through it at the School of the Arts and probably most other programs you went through where you were being picked apart and being compared to this person and compared to that person. And our window of opportunity is so small, so, so slim, that only one or two of us can walk through it where they get a whole open gate. And they're yeah. free to go through that door and do what they please. I've heard and, so and many horror you know stories about this. And you know what, Nate? And, no, and you know what, Nate? When I open my mouth, I only open it to sing a Negro spiritual. I only open it mm. to sing a African chant. Yes, I can sing. I can sing arias from 
you know, Mozart and, and Schubert and all, but I only, oh, that is my specialty. People call on me to say, you know, white people during, during Black History Month, they call on me to say, can you come and sing that song about how we stole your chillings away? That, that is my signature yeah, song. Oh, no, no, I love that. <laughs> I just love it. I lo I've, I've heard them show so much love for it because it reminds them of, of a part of their history that they love that made us look like buffoons. Right, 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 right. Like that's, right. that's what I hear. That's, and, and it's crazy because of the, the cycle of education that I got. As an adult, I probably stifled myself from much of what I deserve to get because I could not walk that way. I couldn't do it. I I I couldn't do it. And even today I, I try to play nice, but that whole diversity thing is annoying to me. Because right. we are right. constantly being told that out because something naturally grows out of us. I'm an artist. Yes, right. Like, right. It's just in me. My grandmother, my mother, my uncles is naturally in me to be creative. I'm constantly being told that their analytical thinking, their, the, their type of learning, they put so much work in it. And whenever we're denied something, the excuse is always, but they work so hard for this. And, that, and that's the fight that we have because we don't have to work for them. Our, our ideas are our story. So I don't have to pull from this out of the air. I just, I, I can be an artist based off of my family history alone. I don't even have to step outside of my house. Mm -hmm. I can be an artist inspired simply by the people that were in my home growing up. Mm -hmm. And they have to come up with these concepts that's bigger than them. And But it's, it's frustrating to have our history scrutinized the way that it has been. It really is uh, frustrating. Nicole says, I applaud you for those pictures. It matters so much in the early years of life. I went to a Catholic school for 12 years and paid to be miseducated. 95% mm. Black, but your Blackness was only acknowledged mid-February <laughs> because 10 days to prepare to purposely lie, 8 days to celebrate, 10 days to get all the shit down. My parents wanted a good education for, she quoted, good education uh, for their children, but they didn't know the truth about the Catholic history. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And we, and that's just private schools in general. I'm not just going to blame it on Catholic schools. It's private schools in general. You know, many of my friends went to, well, it's still Catholic, Loyola, um, Georgetown, a lot of, from my middle school, we got opportunities to go to many different schools, but it, we all had a similar struggle. Like, it, it just, it just was, it was out there. And it, it's frustrating to understand that I had a better opportunity than many of my friends and my my cousins, my age and such, but it was no, I might as well have went to Booker T or I might as well went to Douglas. I might as well, not saying that they're any less, but I might as well went to those schools and dealt with the struggle that would naturally come from going to an inner city high school versus going all the way across town to Sedonia to be treated like less than, but. Well, and you know, exactly. Yeah, what Nicole said hits on, hits on point because 
you know, even, even you talked earlier about Mother Lang and the first order of black nuns that was founded right here in Baltimore. The Catholic Church still does not acknowledge her as a saint. The first black man who was who was ordained a priest in the 1800s in this country is still not considered a, a saint, given sainthood by the Catholic Church. So, and, and we all know that the, the early Christians the were black. Catholic, the Catholic Sisterhood? Uh, Abilate. Yeah. The Abilate Sisters. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Abilate. Yeah. Abilate Sisters. Absolutely. And we all know the, the first that's early. Saint, that's St. Francis Academy. That's St. Francis, Francis Academy. Academy. That's exactly what, that's exactly right, Nate. That's exactly right. And we all know that, that, that Africans were the first Christians because Jesus was a black man. Anytime mm. his parents could have taken him mm. to Egypt and he blended in, he was a man of color. And I'm not going to just say man of color. I'm going to say it. He was a black man, right? So we already know that, it's, mm-hmm. that the, the 12 were black, that the women that followed him were black, right? That the early Christian movement was a black movement. Say that again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I said, why wouldn't he be? Perfect. Boom. But exactly. Just the way... The, the way history has been usurped and turned into, and, and we know history is based on the victor, whoever won, who had the power at that yeah. moment. So the story is always from their perspective. We get that. I understand that. But mm-hmm. at some point, you have to say history is history. Yeah. And I can, I can love the old Dixie South, but I have to acknowledge that we were enslaving people. Yeah, you know, right. and and we have to we have to be really strong about what our children are learning because many of us, in pursuit, because many of our our grandparents and parents paid money for us to be able to go to these schools. I respect my mother for sacrificing and being able to afford to send me to, to private schools, but at the same time, the education that I got there, I was so embarrassed. After that day of history, I was so embarrassed, so embarrassed, like, because I had to face those same white faces. Mm. I, had to, I had to go to lunch with them. I had to go to gym with them. I had to, you know, walk between classes in the hallways and having these same guys laugh and snicker. Uh, Neil says, we as African-American parents should be teaching our children about African-American history at home, starting from when they are young. So they have so they have that knowledge to ask questions in the classroom. I totally agree, Neil. And Neil's a teacher as well. Nicole, the, the Roman Catholic Church played a major role in slavery, as did every other white culture yeah, right, in this right. world. Yeah, Neil, right. Neil says again, when they see those gaps, right? Would they? And one of the things that I have to say, I'm, I'm not telling parents to stop sending their child there. I'm not going to say that. I'm going to say, be active in what your children are learning. Understand what your children are learning. You need to well-verse yourself in what you want your children to learn, especially starting, and start that with your history. It's nothing, it was nothing wrong with me learning who Shakespeare was or who those white playwrights were as an actor, acting major, but I needed to learn who I was first. I can't mm-hmm. learn who you were, who you are, and then build that into me. I can't, because then I'm not being who I'm supposed to be. If I don't first know myself, if you didn't first learn those spirituals, who would you be in this moment? You'll be out here singing these arias and not even knowing what you're talking about. Not even realizing what you're singing about is against the people that, that look like you. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. So that I'm I'm gonna let you know critical race theory sleep for a moment because I <laughs> it it was that conversation went on for hours because people just all of us I think were trying to get that one young person to get it and he's not going to get it until life actually shows up for him and and gives him that gut punch and he realized he's not one of his white friends he's not. And you, you learn that very early on. For some of us, we learned that very early on. And some people need to learn it like an O.J. Simpson down the line. You, you yeah, learn that. Uh, um, I wanted to uh, transition the conversation over to Will Smith. Recently, uh, Will Smith has begun to expose his journey. Um, and, and now he being, I believe he's 52 now, he's in a different space of his life. And he is going back and showing us his journey. Uh, so for the last two and a half years, he's been working on his his memoir, his uh, autobiography, as well as going on this uh, health journey as he gets older. And I think that plays a part in it, but I think that's more his vanity. What I found most interesting is his story. Um, and a lot of his... Uh, toxic behavior stem back to his relationship with his dad and watching his dad first beat his mom. Uh, and hearing Will Smith talk like this, because Will Smith comes from a part of the entertainment industry where they were trained what to say, they were trained what not to say, anything personal about them was kept under lock and key. And what began to happen is I believe their children began to go out and explore the world and didn't know who to trust and let people in who then begin to go out and tell their stories. Uh, and I think that's what happened. But for years, they would deny some of these stories or not really speak on them. But Will Smith is basically exposing a lot of those things that he helped to keep secret in his family. Have you seen any of the clips that he's been doing on YouTube? I have. And interestingly enough, um, the, I've been more paying more attention to people's responses in, re, in, re, in regards to, you know, Will's having a mental breakdown or he's having a midlife crisis. And I think it's important uh -huh. for, as a black man for you to recognize that Will is speaking his truth, right? Will, you know, and, and Will was, you know, uh, Benny Medina and, and, um, and all of the other uh, people that were surrounding him young when he was young in his career, they were mm -hmm. grooming him, right? And there were certain things you said mm -hmm. and certain things you did not say, right? And, and we all know that Will Smith had this squeaky clean image, right? And so right. it's interesting to hear him say, yeah, I got caught by my mother having sex with my girlfriend when I was 16. You know, we, 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 you know, we, we think of the goofy Will from from the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. We don't, you know, we don't, and almost we didn't, even though we saw him date on the show and he was very flirtatious, it was almost like he wasn't sexual though, right? Even with, even with Theo's character in, um, on the Cosby show, they were kind of like sexual, but they weren't. They, it was like the, the, the writers of the show and of course Bill Cosby, who was executive producer, made sure that those certain boundaries were not crossed. And we know, we all know, 16, 17 we doing it. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Our parents might have caught us. You want to do it. You know what I'm saying? And so it's interesting mm -hmm. that to see him open up. I I, I like this well. I do. Yeah. I, I don't and think it is a more authentic. It is. And it's not toxic at all. 
I think I think it's mm-hmm. healing. I think it's part of his healing process. It's part of his healing journey. And you know, you, you said you're going to talk about later about self care. It is part of his self care, and it's lethargic mm-hmm. for him to share these stories and 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 to and to give zero, you know, about what people think about right. him. That's, that's, and you know, I'm looking at it. I'm, I'm looking at it from the perspective of being a black man and being constantly, you know, I didn't grow up in a household where my mother said, "Don't cry," but I, it was just an unspoken truth. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. men did this. I, I had all these uncles that represented this, that were tough guys for the most part, and this represented a certain type of person. It wasn't until I was older that I was introduced to Black men, because I didn't have a Black teacher in elementary school. I had one Black teacher in uh, uh, middle school, and I had no Black teachers at all in high school. So I went through 12 years of education and had one Black man that looked like me that came in the last year that I was in that school. Uh, And that was helpful, but it still was you know, a misrepresentation because he didn't come from a space that I came from. Mm. Uh, so watching Will go through this, you see him kind of transform into a different self. Nicole says, whenever Black people speak their truth, they are having a nervous breakdown. By the way, I'm from Philly. <laughs> and, and that's the... That's, so we're going to get into that part in the last part of the conversation um, about mental health. But this uh, this idea that Will Smith is doing this in front of the world, I have to, you know, I have to say thank you to him because I know it's not easy because he speaks a lot about the ideas that he had implanted in his head where he's always been the jokester and that's how he's coped through life. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he used to use that as a tool to keep his dad from beating him and his siblings or his mother. And he thought that's how he kept the peace. And then that became his mask that he wore. So watching a black man, and it was moments when he would break down. And, you know, you was reading the comments, people calling him soft or, you know, less than a man because he is expressing a real life emotions. Uh, And it's sad to me that we are still in a space where black men aren't allowed to feel. But we expect them to be well-rounded, adjusted, successful people uh, and he's shown success but he's also sh- now showing his vulnerability and I think it's it's a unhealthy aspect of our culture as black people and people of color that we can't show that without it yeah. being seen as a weakness and, and such um, uh, my aunt Val says Will Smith kids are having a privileged life crisis I think they are, but I also think they are more equipped than many of us have been. They know how to go to therapy. They know how to talk out their problems. They know how to experience life. And and I know many of us feel like, because I remember my mother telling me before, my grandmother wanted her to let us just have a taste of what struggle was. So my mother is the oldest of 11 children. And my grandmother thought it was necessary for me and my sister to see what struggle was. So she didn't agree with my mother having a TV with cable in my room in my sister's room. Or me and my sister having a phone line in our, our own phone line in our room. Or, you know, certain 
she thought that my mother was fooling us. And I, I feel like our parents have worked to a point, to that point, but to show your children that type of struggle will only put them in the shoes that you're currently walking in and not and set them up any better. So I, I just remember my my grandmother saying that to my mother, like like they gotta feel what struggle is. They, you know, they get a hot meal and choose choose what their meal is every night versus you know whatever you can afford, you know. And I just remember that conversation. So I'm listening to, uh, I'm I'm listening to um, see my aunt understands because it, it it just it, it becomes where we. Do we want to go backwards? You know, do we want to go backwards? You know, right now, I don't, I see how beating a child, physically beating a child isn't healthy anymore because no. you, that child could possibly grow up and have animosity and or fear of you that's translated into anybody that may look like you. You know, so how healthy is it to keep doing the same things that we've always done and not grow? Uh, but I'm seeing an example of a man that's that I I always wanted to see this type of man grow up because I felt like that's who I was. But I didn't. I, I never saw men cry. Or uh, I think the first time I ever saw a man cry was at uh, my grandmother's room, and 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 they. I think my uncle, who youngest one, was was really trying to keep it in, but. You have to you have to show emotion at some point in your life, and keeping that in will turn you into a person that you're not, um, and that you shouldn't be. Rather, uh, audience, you know, make sure to share the show to people that need to hear this conversation. Please share it out. Please, I beg of you, please share it out. Uh, but uh, uh, yes, thank thank you. Please share, like, subscribe to be exposed. The Artists of Change Radio Show on Facebook, YouTube, uh, and Instagram. Um, but I wanted to transition that part that I'm seeing from Will Smith into a more mental health um, self-care journey. Uh, how has your self-care journey or mental health journey been for you? Well, you talked earlier about, you know, the pandemic and, you know, we've been in this space for two years, right? It, it was, it was, it was maybe like a year in and I realized I haven't opened my mouth to sing one note in almost a year, you know, maybe humming on the radio or something like that. But I felt that, you know, it was affecting me, my spirit, right. And my, and my soul, my purpose. Right. And I said, mm-hmm. okay, I got to get out of this space. You know, um, the choir where I sing at church, opened it up for like two or three, four people, maybe one soprano, that was me, you know, two altos, a tenor and a bass, right? And so I got in the space of being like mm-hmm. said, creative again, right? You know, I was teaching online, I was teaching online, I would run to the store, I would come back, it was like, I walked the dog, it was like this, this monotony that I had gotten. Right, routine. Yeah, this routine I had gotten into, right. and, you know, my father passed away during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And, you know- I'm sorry to hear that. Thank you. And my father was the kind of man today that you talk about will being today. My father was like that my whole life. I all I always saw my father cry, but I saw my father cry when, you know, years mm-hmm. after my, him and my mother had divorced, I saw him be remorseful and say, you know, I'm sorry. I hurt, our, I hurt our family. 
You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so my father was the kind of man that would cry and he was, you know, he was empathetic and in a big heart. He was Aquarius. And so when my father passed away, mm-hmm. I was forced into eldest daughter, the responsible one role, right? So that I, I kicked into doing and working and cleaning out his apartment and making sure his accounts were closed and I never mourned. And so recently, mm-hmm. I, you know, you said you've lost several people during this two-year span. My cousin passed away. And this was a cousin mm-hmm. that was very close to me. We, we literally went to sixth, seventh, and eighth grade together in, in Catholic school. We were talking about earlier. And so we, we were very close. We went, mm-hmm. to Morgan, we went to Morgan State together. So, But seeing him laying in the same place, in the same funeral home that my dad had laid in a year prior, Nate, all the grief just came. It was like pouring the tears, the emotion, the the all of the anxiety, all of this, all of these emotions that I were that I was holding inside because I had to be the strong one, right? Just came pouring out, and it yeah. was and it was cleansing, and it was healing, and it was needed. I needed it, right? And so, I say a lot to say is that uh, self care for me recently has been a lot of reflection, right? A lot of uh, dealing with things that I have pushed away, right? I, I don't have a problem releasing people when people are no longer, and I'm not saying serve me in terms of like me using them. That's not what this is about. This isn't about an exchange, right? This is the name of your show, The Artist of Change. So it's about an exchange, right? But when I'm pouring, 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 right? And I'm empty, Right. And I'm not getting anything from this, from this exchange. Then, then, then that, that, then it needs to, then it needs to cease. And I have no problem in that yeah. area. But the area that I struggle with is, um, is the reflective piece and to into in the in the being still in the moment piece, right? And so that that's what this pandemic has done for me. A lot has made me be still has helped me accomplish a lot of things. I got busy with that dissertation. I got busy releasing this yeah. book. You know what I'm saying? All of these projects, all of these things that I have wanted to do, um, it forced me into a creative space. So I say all I have to say is that self-care is right. very, very important. It's very, very necessary. And as Black people, mental health is something that we don't like really like to talk about, right? We don't like to say maybe I might be suffering mm-hmm. from anxiety or maybe I might feel a little bit of depression coming on. And I shared that. I was very um, candid and vivid and um, uh, transparent on a post that I posted maybe like a, a year after my father died. And I said, uh, guys, I'm not okay today. And um, I'm mourning my father mm. and I'm hurting, but I'm going to be okay. And I also said, the peace queen in the inbox, I don't need that. I, I'm not saying that I'm vulnerable. I'm just saying that I'm hurting, you know, because, you know, sometimes, you know, males will see, you know, they think that you're vulnerable and see mm-hmm. that as an opportunity. That's not what this is about, brothers. This is about my healing and me being vulnerable. <laughs> I mean, vulnerable in, in, in terms of being open and being transparent, right? So so this this pandemic has been very, uh, helped me to right, be very right. transparent, Yeah. And, and, it, and I hear that. Uh, Mama Bell says, my mom and grandmother did not ask us questions. They told us what to do. Uh, Will Smith and his family are having the same issues us poor folk are having, and they are keeping it real. And I, uh, she also says, self-care for me is actually working 
testing and helping people understand that this is a wake up call. And, and we have to get it. You, we have to shift, shift ourselves into a space where we are not repeating cycles. Because the more we repeat those cycles, the more, this the more toxic we become. The more, uh, whew, I, I'm, I'm in a process of writing a book. And one of the things that I believe is halting me from doing it is because I haven't really had the conversations that I want to speak about in the book. I haven't had those in real life. So watching Will Smith go do this is confirmation to me that this is a real feeling that I'm having. And I did not mm. feel comfortable exposing my story if I did not first have the conversation with family or individuals that are being represented in this book mm. um, or people who are involved in my story. I'll mm. say it that way. Um, and it has been the hardest part for me to say, you hurt me mm. Mm. or this doesn't feel good. Or I am, um, I am, I'm not feeling good today. The last two weeks, I, I just stopped coming into my office. I stopped, you know, communicating. I would stop posting uh, because I had to make me feel good. And I had to stop just trying to press on. You know, I, I, my aunt is on here and uh, one of the things that I learned from the women on both my mother's side and father's side, I learned how not, I learned how not to hide my feelings. I learned how not to just suck it up and keep it moving because ultimately that will turn into a physical problem. And I love the people in my family. I don't want my aunt to be, you know, typing on Twitter fingers, uh, but uh, it's, it's more so I learned what not to do because I saw how unhealthy that was for them. But even in me seeing that as a child and growing into an adult, I still took many parts of that with me. I learned how to hide the truth. I learned how to deny my pain. I learned how to substitute uh, my true feelings. I learned how to do all of that. People have to understand that children are picking up and they're learning from you. And it's not just what they're saying. Children listen to what they see. They don't, they don't really, their learning style is often different from yours. So they're not really grasping what you're saying to them because they don't have the experience to be able to understand what you're saying. So they mimic what they see you do. Relationships, communication, lying, all of those things. Abuse. You know, I'm I'm really shocked that. Uh, it, it was at one point in Will Smith's thing where he has a brother and a sister, and and his brother was the fight, his his sister was the flight, and he was uh, what did he call himself? Uh, the fun. So he had to to mask it. He had to mask it. He was a person that was absorbing a lot of those feelings that everybody else was feeling. No, Will's yeah. a Libra, so he's going to be that, but he's going to try to keep that balance going. Fascity says, 
yes. I always say, how can you correct a behavior with the same behavior? We are the same behavior. We are bred to be strong and hide our pain. But in reality, we recognize our strength from acknowledging our pain. Uh, Chastity says to be strong. Uh, yep, I'm on that growth path, Nate. Uh, to know it's okay not to be okay. Nicole Newman says, as parents, we have to create emotional safety so that our children are free to be themselves, know what self-care is and, and what it's really about. Um, and I'm, I, I teach, so I don't bash any of my parents. I used to when I was younger. Uh, I no longer do that because I'm learning how to correct my teaching style in terms of what your learning style is. So our communication is clear and, and we both understand each other. Uh, but one of the things that I'm, I have to always tell my parents, your child is absorbing your emotional struggle, whether you're talking to them or not. They know when you're quiet and you're not being responsive. They know when you go off and you don't want to be touched. They are absorbing that, and they translate that into their relationships with other people. And we have to break that cycle. It's going to be tough. And at some point, one of these generations are going to have to take on that struggle and sacrifice. But we have to learn how to communicate. One of my biggest struggles in life was I wanted everybody to get along. And I didn't know how that took chunks out of me and me making people be friends with each other who weren't, who didn't care to be friends with each other. That took parts of me that I didn't know I was missing. So I was starting to be missing a whole arm and didn't realize that me fighting for this, I was using all of this, me. And, and self-care is very important and it's vital. And it's not just you're, not, you're never going to be just okay for the rest of your life or great for the rest. There are going to come moments. There's going to be times when you think about losing that parent or losing that friend or that relationship that didn't work or that, that marriage that ended in divorce or a child that died at birth or something like you're going to think about those things and it's going to affect you. But knowing how to have a healthy mindset when you join your class and you say to your class, hey, today ain't the day. I'm not feeling myself. I'm going to be okay, but I needed to say that. And many of us are not comfortable doing that. We're not comfortable expressing ourselves, especially being a Black man. It's The system is not set up for me to do that. I'm looked at as weaker or not a man if I do that. Um, any last-minute thoughts on uh, self-care or... Yeah, and, we even, best do that. and even being able to say that I'm still hurting, even if you can't say, because I remember I heard you mention earlier that you hurt me, right? But what if you can't say it to that person, right? What if you're, you and that person Ooh, are strained right. or, or that person you have decided to, you know, uh, uh, let them separate from your life and you're still dealing with, you know, we talked about Stephanie earlier and being the trauma queen. Well, you know, some of us may be trauma queens, right? We may be still carrying around this trauma and saying to us, and we have to admit to yeah. ourselves, I'm still hurting. And I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm, that's where I am. And you don't want to stay in that space. But like you said, you have to have 
these open conversations where we can talk to each other and we can help to eat each mm-hmm. other to heal. You know, even if it's on a social media post, you don't, sometimes you don't understand how, that there's somebody <coughs> out there who's feeling the same exact way that you are, right? And just having that common knowledge that we share this call, this shared experience, right? Is, is, mm-hmm. is opening up the gates for, for the healing experience to take place. So, yeah, absolutely. Yes. yes. I, I, I really appreciate you uh, joining me and thank you for everybody uh, who have been commenting. And I'm, I'm going to say again, please, we need you to keep sharing and subscribing. This show has been going on for quite some time. A big chunk of my adult, well, a big chunk of my 30s, <laughs> if not all my 30s, but I appreciate everybody who continues to support in their own way. Uh, thank you for continuing. Thank you for being a guest today. Um, my last question to you is, um, what question would you ask to your 100-year-old self, and what advice would you give to your 70-year-old self? And while you're thinking about that, I'm going to um, just give a couple messages, give you a couple moments to think about that. Um, but don't forget, the Crown Awards is next uh, Saturday. Please vote for myself and many of the other artists that you may know on the list. Uh, we have been nominated for Renaissance Man of the Year, Best Vendor, and Best uh, Radio Show of the Year. So please take a moment. Go to our page, BeExposedRadio.com. Check out our new news section. If you're looking for a space to start your show, hit us up, info at BeExposedRadio.com. Um, or you can follow the Artist Exchange Radio Show if you're looking for a space to promote and market your upcoming uh, events. So ready to answer? Okay, all right. So I, I first want to thank you, Nate. You are such a mm-hmm. wonderful spirit, and thank you for having thank me, you. first of all. And, you know, you didn't know me from a can of paint. You, you asked me to come on. And I, I this was one of the most um, healing experiences that I've had and being able to, um, to to talk openly about, you know, anything from the cr- critical race theory to Stephanie Rollins Blake to healing. You know, mm-hmm. this, this is very, this is, it, you, mm-hmm. you gave me a. Uh, oh, you coming a, back. You coming back. <laughs> you, you, got some, you got some comeback arguments. So I got to bring you back. Okay. Most times people don't want to talk politics, but we're bringing you back. I love it. I love it. So you've given me a lot to think about and to take and a lot of takeaways t- this evening. Um, but what 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 advice mm-hmm. would I give to my 17-year-old self? Um, I would tell her it's okay. It's okay to be the little black girl you've always wanted to be. It's okay wow. to have kink, it's okay to have kinky hair. It's okay to um to be a black girl and want to sing opera and want to sing spirituals. It's okay. It's okay to be a nerd and read a book and rather, um, you know, be intellectual than necessarily go follow the trend, okay? I would tell her that I love her and that she's going to uh, evolve into a wonderful human being, right? And so you said, what question would I ask my 100-year-old self? I would ask her, why did you spend so much time not loving yourself for who you really are? Why did you spend decades, decades not loving yourself when you are made in the image likeness of the most high God, right? That you, that you come from greatness, that you come from ancestors who, who started the first black order of nuns in Baltimore, right? Who, who went, from the, went from the whole house to Carnegie Hall, right? 
So I would I would ask her, why did you spend so much time not loving yourself when you when you're when you're so wonderful? You're such a beautiful person. That's what I would ask her. And I want I, I want people to know that these questions are not um they can evolve with you. Yeah, sure. These two questions typically tell you where you are right now. Mm. And as you ask yourself, they're great meditation prompts or writing prompts or music writing prompts or just a, a general good question to ask yourself in the midst of a storm. Because it gives you a lot of concrete information in terms of where your emotions are, where your thoughts are in that moment. So if you ask yourself this question in a week, it may be different. Um, doesn't have to be, but it may be different. So I suggest that people ask themselves this question as a form of meditation, and it really gives you a lot of good insights because you're not trying to change history or learn something from the future as much as you are trying to figure out where I'm at in the present. Um, and it's something that I give to my students as a mindfulness training technique. Uh, it's something that I use myself now as a way to kind of gauge where I'm at emotionally. Um, and it's something that I normally ask people who come into my space and they're a little frantic. It's a good question to kind of bring you back down to the center. Um, so, um, one, uh, again, thank you. Let us know where we can find your book. Sure, sure thing. CD. Yeah, the CD is on um, CD Baby, okay? It's also on, uh, I believe it's on iTunes. It's on iTunes and the digital platforms. All, it's on all digital platforms. And the book okay. is also available on Amazon, okay, digital, or you can get okay. the physical copy. And you can also go through AuthorHouse, AuthorHouse.com. Put in Mia Miata, the goddess code, and it should come right up. And, and if she she's going to send me those links, and I'll share them again on social media. But we, I know we're a little over time, but can you take us out with one of your songs? I would love time? to. I would love to. Um, Lord, how come me here? Lord, how come me here? Lord, how come me here? Lord, I wish I never was born, Lord. I wish I never was born. They got to don't no more, no more. They got to buy the rest. They got to go to. <laughs> yes, and it's on the TV. Baby, to get called, the rest of it. Yes, Urban Arias. Check it out. Well, we're going to share that. And thank you again. This has been another edition of the Artists Exchange Radio Show. Check me out tomorrow. I'll be on the Entrepreneur's Corner with Mr. Jay McGraw. Uh, also, what else is coming up? What else is coming up? Is a lot coming up. Oh, so I'm having a class for mainly for teachers, but it's also um, really great for parents as well, or just people who are having some difficulties in their various relationships communicating. I met a lovely young man, a really talented young man from Alabama, uh, and he is coming up with this process to help us learn our different 
communication styles. We call them learning styles, the four learning styles, audible, visual, hands-on, or written, written and re reading. Uh, uh, and he's, he's come up with a great way. And we're going to do uh, uh, a class for him where we're teaching him how to teach. Uh, and he's given his information as well. So I'm helping out a lot of people. If you're looking for a space to be able to promote your stuff, the Artist Exchange is the place for that. So hit me up at the Artist Exchange Radio Show at gmail.com and we can work all that out for you. So a uh, peace out, people. Thank you, Miss Mia. I appreciate you. Thank you to everybody. Thank you to everybody. And and don't forget to wish Monty a happy 55th birthday. Happy uh, birthday, Monty. You tried it. You tried it. <laughs> I'm not 55 or any other that. <laughs> so just happy birthday, Monty. Uh, happy belated birthday. And happy birthday to Aldo and Nicole as well. That birthday passed as well. Uh, so again, everybody, good night. Sleep tight. Enjoy yourself. And I'm gonna. I need to get that book too because I'm gonna. I'm gonna read it. I'm on a reading streak. No more plays for a couple of weeks. I'm just gonna be reading books. So peace out, everybody. Bye bye. All right. All right. Take care. Thank you for having me. Thank you.